1: Hello, hello, and welcome to the Solak Show here on BGN Radio. We do appreciate you swinging by. I am Benjamin Solak, riding solo in the host seat for this one, because uh, it is time to get my full thoughts out on an Eagles draft class that, firstly, number one, had too many players that I did not watch in it. Uh, which was inconvenient for me, uh, which I, I missed uh, Zach McPherson, the corner out of Texas Tech, and Marlon Pelotu, the uh, uh, defensive tackle at USC. So I had to get both of those guys filmed on across the course of this week so I could sit down and tell you whether or not it's a good class. And I should say, uh, it is a ambitious class. Uh, it could be a really, really good group. Uh, I do think it could be a really, really exciting group. I also think there's a chance, uh, uh, a good chance that there's a lot of busts and there's a lot of flameouts, outs. Uh, and it's tricky. A lot of it has to do with coaching staff and usage, which we're going to talk about. But in general, it's pretty clear that the Eagles largely stuck to their uh, philosophy as a team, philosophy as a front office in this class. Nine players drafted. Eight of whom has have had at least twenty starts. Uh, Zach McPherson had twenty one starts at Texas Tech after the transfer from Penn State. Millen Williams had twenty three starts at Louisiana Tech, despite the fact that he was kind of a late bloomer and and kind of came onto the position late. Uh, only Kenny Gainwell had fourteen starts, and of course Gainwell was on a depth chart with uh, Daryl Henderson and Antonio Gibson in his first year at Memphis. Then he had 14 starts that next season as the starting running back along with Gibson. And then this past year opted out. And so he's the the only one below 20 starts, which is something we talked about in the pre-draft show. Uh, He comes in at 14 with the opt out, so decently close. So they largely stuck to their philosophy there. They were a little bit more flexible in terms of their testers. We talked about how much they prioritize uh, straight-line explosiveness, vert 40 and broad. Devonta Smith and Landon Dickerson both don't test for them. Milton Williams is a 99th percentile interior defensive line tester at literally all three of those. Ludicrous athlete. Kenny Gainwell, 78th uh, percentile in the 40, 56th percentile in the vert, 69th nice percentile in the broad. So he hits on 40 and broad and just misses on the vert. Um, Marlon Tui Pelotu was 65th percentile in the vert, 35th in the broad. He pulled his hammy on his 40. Uh, Tron Jackson was 77th percentile on the 40, 12 in the 12 in the vert and then 68 in the broad on the Jacoby Stevens and Patrick Johnson were both full qualifiers, uh, 70, 97 and 95 for Jacoby. He's always been a high caliber athlete. And then 83, 72 and 71 for Patrick Johnson among all edges, uh, for, for Johnson, You're just putting him in that big bucket group, whether or not the Eagles view him as an edge or a, a stack linebacker is, is, a, an item of concern and of question. So they're largely stuck to their, their philosophy. There. Uh, With that said, they took some really big swings. Uh, Both Devontae Smith and Landon Dickerson did not test. Uh, And usually we don't see the Eagles draft guys who who don't have testing. Uh, We also don't usually see them draft from Alabama, (laughs) which has been a running joke, but they do. They make back to back Alabama picks. Uh, And these are really big swings of the plate because Devontae Smith historically looks like he'll have to be a a bit of a outlier or a bit of a a surprise in terms of his play weight uh, to to succeed at the NFL. And Landon Dickerson's coming off of of three total season ending injuries. So we're going to start with those two, the two Alabama kids, the big crown jewels of this class, Devontae Smith and Landon Dickerson, who right now feel like great picks and talk a little bit about the risk that goes into those players. So Devontae Smith uh, was listed at 6'1", 175 for Alabama during his final season there. Uh, We didn't really get a a testing process from him. He elects not to weigh in at the Senior Bowl. Uh, He officially comes in with a height of six foot and a quarter, 170 pounds uh, at the Alabama Pro Day. And he's he's understood to play around 166 pounds. Now, I wrote in... January 2021. So uh, this was right after the national championship uh, about how the NFL will view Devontae Smith relative to his size and particularly his his body mass index, right? Because it's not so much about uh, pure weight, though, we're going to talk about pure weight here in a second. But it's also the fact that at over six foot, uh, he's particularly slight. He's particularly slender. You know, he's affectionately coined the Slim Reaper, and and we like that. That's a lot of fun. Um, but it is a a, a gesture to the fact that he is not just a light dude, but a thin dude. If you look at players like Marquise Brown, who came in at one hundred sixty six pounds, well, he's five nine and three eighths. If you look at Deshaun Jackson, who was uh, one hundred sixty nine pounds when he came out, he was five foot ten. Uh, if you look at KJ Hamler out last year, one hundred seventy eight pounds. He's five foot nine. Antoine Randall five foot ten, one ninety. When you're shorter, you have a little bit more density. And anecdotally in the league, body density gestures towards endurance—the ability to survive the attrition of a season and of a career. Uh, you you want to have muscle mass and density because you're going to hold up better to hits. That's the presiding philosophy uh, in terms of. Proof of this statistically relevant, significant proof. There really hasn't been any of which I'm aware, but that's typically how the league looks at you. And so when you have a upright and thinner dude, that starts to become a little bit more of a concern. So Devontae Smith, uh, as I wrote, uh, only four receivers have had multiple seasons of at least 1000 yards receiving while playing under 180 pounds in the NFL. In the last 20 years. That's, that's a lot of condition. So we'll, we'll, we'll make it a, a clearer frame. Since 2000. The players who have successfully had. More than one season. Multiple seasons of 1000 yards. Are John Brown. Who's had two such seasons. Emmanuel Sanders. Who's had three such seasons. Brian Hartline. Who had two such seasons. Deshaun Jackson. Who's had five such seasons all playing under 180 pounds. So Deshaun, John Brown, speed threats, right? Explosive play guys, clearly like crazy, down the field, nuts, uh, you know, deep speed, take take the top off the defense. Emmanuel Sanders, 5'11", a buck 80. Much more so what you expect Devontae Smith to be in terms of a z receiver move around the formation slot and outside run some routes all around same thing is true brian hartline who was like 6'2, 180 but i i'm from what i understand i don't really remember brian hartline's playing career that well uh he played out of a slot a fair bit uh, so that was kind of more so his his usage there so the comp that you often see for Devontae smith is marvin harrison right and it's worth noting that harrison was listed at 185 so 15 potential pounds heavier than Devonte smith six foot 185 he of course had eight seasons i want to say of over 1000 yards so very successful career for marvin harrison but he's not necessarily fitting into this framework and i'm not trying to intentionally exclude him by making the cutoff 180 pounds Devonte pr- plays at like 170 probably less so this is giving him a lot of Extra room, and the fact that Harrison played at 185 is substantially different. Uh, so while I, I understand and I appreciate the the comparison in terms of play style and usage, and Harrison wasn't the biggest guy, Devonte's size is, is substantially different. If we go for body mass index, right, which again tries to uh, account height into this conversation as well as weight. If he's six foot and a quarter, and he weighs 174, 170 pounds. His BMI is right around 23, right? Which is generally a general area, it right? Just like, you know, uh, get as close as we can because obviously play weight changes and so on and so forth. Uh, only Robbie Anderson, which was 2020 last year, and Steve Breston in 2008 have produced 1,000 yard seasons with a BMI under 24. So what does this mean? Largely like nothing, which I, I just went in depth on it, obviously, but body mass index does not describe a good player playweight does not describe a good player talent does uh what do you do when you're on the field the field he's a tremendous player but the reason that smith was drafted after Jalen waddle and was drafted after jamar chase is because when you put the three of those guys up against each other you say all right everybody's film here is tremendous who are we going to draft you want to draft the guys who have traditional sizes and clear models in recent league history before you draft the guy who simply doesn't if Devonte Smith has multiple one thousand yard seasons which do not get it twisted when you draft a wide receiver in the top 10 you are expecting him to have multiple one thousand yard seasons if he does that he will be an outlier relative to how other players of his size have predict- have performed we have not had receivers in the last 20 years have multiple one thousand yard receiver receiving seasons with body mass index Under 24. So when you look at Waddle versus Chase for Smith, you have more certainty. You have more reason for faith in Chase and Waddle in terms of their historic size and how they're built performing the league than you do for Devontae Smith. It's really that simple. That's why he gets drafted after Jamar Chase and after Jalen Waddle. The Eagles elect to be the team to stop his fall by trading up to 10 to go get him. And they get in front of the Giants who would have been the team to stop his fall at 11 because Dave Gelman does not give a hoot about this sort of stuff. Dave Gelman wants good ball players. The Eagles typically are a lot more analytically inclined, so they would care much more about historical trends in play weight and production, so on and so forth. But they like to go get him. He's a really good football player, and so do we get multiple one thousand yard seasons out of Devontae Smith? I think so, but this is a a big bet that is a, that is a substantial and difficult bet and that's why he was made, picked after jamar chase and Jalen waddle is because there is a lot more risk there and how can that risk manifest itself it can manifest itself with injury uh which he's largely avoided major injury across the course of his alabama career he had the finger injury uh which came uh, at the end of the season last season but besides that has generally been very healthy uh, so it can come from that it can come from a general sap of athleticism over the course of several hits uh, it can come from a sudden Inability to get off of press coverage and to play through contact. uh I know. Oh, he's got. He's had Matt Harmon charted best reception, reception against press coverage. I, I'm not surprised. He was freaking good in college. uh SEC corners. I'm not surprised. Like they, they, he was able to beat those guys. Absolutely, he's very, very talented. But it is different in the NFL. If everything you did in the SEC translated to the NFL, every team would only draft SEC players and they would never have any busts ever. So it, it has been the case that this has not transferred. Uh, and so. He has every every tool you want, every trait you want. Extremely good player, ready to contribute now, run routes at all three levels, uh, create after the catch. He's won contested catches in college. You're not sure if he's going to do that as well in the pros, but you hope he's released off of press in college. You're not sure if he's going to do that in the in the pros, but you hope he's a freaking punt gunner <laughs> as Nick Sirianni brought up. And so you love the, the physicality. Uh, you love the willingness to be tough. You're not sure if it's going to be as easy. Um, so Devonte is amazing. We love him. We are not sold that there's as good of a chance with Jamar Chase and Jalen Waddle that Devontae is really good. There's a bigger chance with Devontae as opposed to Smith and Waddle, just opposed to Waddle and Chase, excuse me, that he ends up bad, that he ends up busting, that he ends up coming in under expectation. So got to keep him healthy. Try to avoid hits with him. If they're playing him on special teams, they're outside their God-given minds. and hopefully use him on all three areas all, all three receiver alignments X receiver on the line of scrimmage Z receiver off the line of scrimmage and in the slot give him routes short and intermediate he's really really good after the catch uh and yeah if you're going to throw him contested balls throw him contested balls you're just going to try to keep him away from safety hits away from linebacker hits if you're going to throw him across or try to protect him from contact because the worry is that a thin frame like Devonte is going to lead to injury and that's going to sap his ability to stick in the NFL and develop into the player we all hope he is so Very excited for Devontae Smith. Heisman award-winning wide receiver. Loved watching his film. Absolutely loved the dude. Suit looked great. Would love to call him the Slim Reaper. Would love to buy that shirt that his brand is releasing. That thing is sick. Um, But this is why he was the third receiver, despite winning the Heisman. Should have been, you know, bona fide first, slam dunk. But he wasn't, because there is this inherent concern baked into his eval when you look at kind of the history of the position. That's Devontae. My absolute favorite thing about doing this Pod by myself is like if Kiss were still here, Kiss would be like, yeah, but he's good. Shut up. You hate Devontae, think he's bad. Now he's not here. And nobody does that. So I can just like be as detailed and as as fence city and as granular as I want. Nobody can say anything. Okay, landy Dickerson. uh with Dickerson, it's not so nearly as long of a explanation. It is the Eagles decided to make him an early second round pick because he has started at left tackle, right tackle, left guard, right guard, center, right guard again and center so is the greatest player alive uh he has legitimate experience at all three interior positions and has the size six foot five three hundred and thirty three pounds thirty three and a quarter inch arms to play outside if he needs to uh so realistically he's going to compete for at least three, if not more positions across the course of this year and next season. Uh, the film is absolutely bananas. To me, he is the, the second best interior player on film without question behind Elijah Vera Tucker. Absolutely the man, ton of fun, gigantic red flag. All right, so this from Dane Brugler, uh, uh, the Beast uh, at The Athletic. Durability is a bright red flag after missing most of his first three seasons at Florida State and finishing his Alabama career with a knee injury. Suffered a torn ACL in his right knee, November 2016, as a freshman, which required season-ending surgery. Suffered a right right ankle injury, October 2017, that required season-ending surgery. Suffered a left knee sprain, September 2018, that he later re-aggravated, missing most of the 2018 season. He then played for all 2019. Suffered a torn ACL in his left knee, December 2020 requiring surgery so three season ending surgeries uh a torn acl in his right knee in 2016 a right ankle injury in 2017 and then another torn acl with him in his left knee in 2020 he has torn both acls he has also had ankle injuries in both ankles it just doesn't really get bleaker than that That's very concerning stuff so they pick landon dickerson at what 38 37 38 37 ideally he comes in Uh, If Brandon Brooks is healthy and good to go, he beats out Isaac Samala for the starting left guard spot. Samala becomes offensive line six. If and when Jason Kelsey retires, he can potentially play that role. He'd be one of the biggest centers in the freaking world, but he can play that role or you can kick Samala in the center and leave him at left guard. If Brandon Brooks comes back and is not 100% of the stuff because Brooks is also coming off a major injury, Dickerson can win the right guard job. If Brooks comes back and is good, Kelsey is obviously still here and he's good. And I understand all the wins the camp job. Dickerson six offensive lineman off. He backs up all the interior spots. Jack Driscoll come back up right tackle. Jack Driscoll come back up left tackle. Uh, The Eagles can trade Andre Dillard sick. But that which is ideal is unlikely to happen with Dickerson because he simply it it is unrealistic to expect that Dickerson remains healthy at any given time, which it sounds horrible to say. But this has not been his history as a player. So the Eagles may take this swing and, and, and at some point by 2022, he's going to have one of these starting interior jobs. How much faith do you have that he's going to give you 16 game seasons? Prognosticating injury is very difficult, but the Eagles have not done a good job internally with their medical department, keeping players healthy and re- recuperating players from minor injuries, let alone major injuries. And so it's another very big swing where, okay, if Devontae's good, I think he's going to be really good. Yeah, Dickerson is really good. He's unbelievable size, great flexibility, ludicrous power, uh, excellent movement skills, and also like loves football and is just great and is a finisher and is energy and just such a fun dude to root for. He's extremely injury prone and it, it seems unlikely with Devontae, It's like there's a chance that he just doesn't hit because it's tough for slender players to stick in the league, a wide receiver with Dickerson. It just seems unlikely that Dickerson's able to offer substantial, trustworthy play over the course of his first contract, let alone his second as the attrition of continued snaps in the NFL invites more and more opportunities for injury. I will say this. For Dickerson to have sustained all the injuries he did, ACL injury, right ACL, right ankle, left ankle, and then to come and play as he did in 2019 and 2020 for Alabama, the, the athleticism that he showed after all those injuries is, is mighty impressive. Uh, he's a good athlete. Both Devontae and, and Dickerson didn't test, but they're both clearly plus athletes that speaks to his recuperation ability, right? That speaks to the the elasticity of his body to be able to come back from those injuries and not seem lacking of juice. But uh, it is still tough to assume that he'll be available for 17 games a season for multiple seasons. That's a really hard bet to make right now. So with Devontae and with Dickerson, you have these two really, really big swings at the plate, right? It's like, all right, these guys, if Dickerson is healthy and Smith translates despite his frame, both of them are round one talent players, and they're, they're big time, they're premium positions, big-time positions of need. They needed Devonte really badly. Dickerson gives them flexibility with what to do with their interior. This is great, but there's, there's significant red flags with these guys. You can, I wouldn't say that Milton Williams has a red flag. We move on to the Eagles third round pick, but the conversation there is ceiling is super high, just like Dickerson and Smith, but he's not there yet. And to get there, coaching is going to be really, really important. Milton Williams, a multiple year starter at Louisiana Tech, uh, and they played a, a a three down front, tight front, mint front. You've heard it referenced in the league a little bit. You've heard me talk about it before, but Williams was playing the four eye role on the defensive line. So we say three technique. You hear me say that a lot. It's a pass rusher in the B gap. Your Your inside shoulder as a defensive tackle is on the outside shoulder of the guard across from you, right? So you're. In the B gap, shaded towards the guard. Milt Williams played the four eye technique, which is just like four inside, which means instead of being shaded to the guard, he was shaded to the tackle. So still lined up in the B gap, but he's relating to the tackle. He's closer to him than he is to the guard. He plays the, in this role, in this alignment, in this defense. Williams was asked to play very much so a, a reactive role uh, and So he was asked to defend the run first, to be able to control multiple gaps and be able to uh, read backfield action and, and, and go relate to the quarterback on, on his own read or what have you, uh, not given as many opportunities to just get off the ball, get upfield and go. Now, can he do that? Absolutely freaking And you can see that in his film easily, or you can want to see a 4 40-yard dash with a 38.5-inch vert and a 10-1 broad, which again, these are all 99th percentile numbers and say, all right, he's explosive. You know, it's very, very clear. Now, it's worth noting he's getting measured against interior defensive linemen on those measures, and he weighs 284 pounds. So once again, the Eagles took an undersized player here. 6963 cone, that's 99th percentile. 433 short subtle, that's 99th percentile. 10-yard split was 165, which is 93rd percentile. All of his measurements for explosiveness and transition ability are 90th percentile or higher. Bench press, 34 reps, 87th percentile. And that is the thing. He has really nice upper body power. When he fires his hands you feel it Uh, and he's able to shack uh, stack and shed he's able to shock blockers accordingly but this four eye roll is not analogous to what he's going to be asked to do in the league unless jonathan gannon is going to come out here and run some tight front which would be cool and fun and we would like no Milton williams role is going to be different in the nfl than it was in college now it's worth it's worth saying with emphasis Williams himself said that he envisions being able to play edge on early downs and then kicking onto the interior on on passing downs. And people have brought up Malik Jackson and kind of what he did for the Eagles. And all that is well and good, Uh, but we should say with emphasis, Williams is a interior player. That's what he is. He's an interior player. He's 6'3", 285 right now. And his frame can very clearly take on more weight and should take on more weight. He has 31 half inch arms, which uh, uh, short arms you can get away with in the interior, much more difficult to get away with uh, on the outside. And so I think if he's asked to play as like an edge like you know because obviously in that B, in that excuse me that louisiana tech defense he's like the last dude on line of scrimmage with his hand in the dirt so like he's a quote unquote edge but he really functionally isn't and he's not going to be used that way by philadelphia so even if he does get some base down five technique reps where he's lined up on the outside shoulder of the tackle i do not think he's going to be an edge functionally for them much at all especially after like a year in the program where i would say they get time to put weight on his body with that said because he doesn't necessarily know how to use his hands right now doesn't necessarily have rush moves right now because again playing the four eye technique he's playing run first slow to pass rush because he doesn't have ideal length and so he's not necessarily going to have like fletcher cox clubs and arm overs and whatnot he's a little bit stubbier. He does benefit from a Indianapolis Colts-like defensive structure that will allow him to stunt, twist, and game. Because when you can get an interior rusher with this much explosiveness upfield, you can tell him, all right, go and just murder the tackle, right? Just get upfield. You're in the B-gap. Just go and just take the inside shoulder of the tackle and just launch him into the sun. Because now you 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 hit that the edge loops in behind you now the edge is a two-way go against the b gap with a ton of space because of what you just did to the tackle and you yourself after you go and you crash on the tackle now can turn and again you ran a sub seven freaking three cone and you can go chow as a quarterback if you put him on a loop now and he's not the crasher he's not the one coming downhill but he's the one running behind on the twist and the stunt well that's where 696 really starts to come into play in that three cone that's where that lower frame six foot three and those shorter arms allows you to come and be tight around a corner like an edge right and so that he, he projects as a guy who's going to benefit from twists and stunts in that way when you look at some of the other uh, players that the eagles have brought in uh, which i don't i don't want to spend too much time talking about the late round picks but teron jackson the edge out of coastal carolina and then patrick johnson to a lesser extent the outside linebacker out of uh two you can also see this teron jackson is uh is 6'2 254 he's got a 33 and a quarter inch arm so he's a little bit more length he is a vertical explosiveness player he is a snap jump player right so he is uh, 77th percentile in the 40-yard dash, 68th percentile in the broad jump, 67th percentile in the 20-yard. He is explosive on a line. He is not a turn the corner player. So this is a guy that you put on the field and you tell him, hey, go crash the. I'll, I'll go crash on a stunt, go crash into the B gap, go o- open up room for a defensive tackle to loop behind you. On his mock draftable comparison is Jabal Sheard, who was an edge for the Colts, who under Jonathan Gannon, well, under Matt Eberflus, but when Jonathan Gannon was there, who was used as a crasher, who was used as a stunt guy, right? This is the sort of role that we could see Tehran being successful in, even as a late round pick. Patrick Johnson, much more so, a kind of three-four outside linebacker on-ball Sam guy. We'll talk about him in a second. Um, but so you you can see the Eagles bringing in body types that are not all right. This is a traditional one tech. This is a traditional three tech. This is a traditional five tech. We're going to do X, Y, and Z, and we're going to rush our gaps because that's what that's what Jim Schwartz did. We got four guys. We're we're going to put them in gaps. They're going to get up field. They're going to rush those gaps. And that's how we're going to live with Teron Jackson and and strongly with Milton Williams. Now you have players who can work through different gaps and players who have experience playing different gaps in the running game with Milton and the ability to run twists and stunts, which is a lot more so what the Colts did. So I think you can expect, and you should expect given the picks that the Eagles made the Eagles to run more twists and stunts this year than they did last year, which would be indicative relative to where Jonathan Gannon came from. The last thing I'll say about Milton Williams is this. I side with Tom Donahoe who uh, it's become evident. Now everybody who has seen the clip of Howie Roseman going around the the draft's war room, congratulating people and getting pumped of the Milton Williams pick. He goes up to Tom Donahue, who is a uh, senior personnel executive for the Eagles. I want to say he is the senior director of player personnel for the Eagles. Uh, he goes up to Donahue to celebrate, and Donahue's just not having it. It's just like, I don't not not we're not doing the don't not doing the hand bump. We don't like that. So. He goes up to Donahoe. Donahoe is 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 upset, and the Eagles had traded back from 70 to 73. Uh, at 70, the Panthers took Brady Christensen, and then at 71, the Giants took Aaron Robinson, who was a corner out of UCF. And then at 72, the Detroit Lions took Ali McNeil, who was a defensive tackle out of NC State. And it's since become clear that Donahoe wanted Ali McNeil. And that makes sense. Ali uh, McNeil was actually a player that I highlighted on the pre-draft show for the Eagles. Uh, He had had a visit with them. He had had a conversation with them uh, and he fit their testing thresholds the same way that Milton Williams did. I have McNeil as a substantially better football player right now. Uh, mcneil was a top 100 player on my board which we're obviously we're picking in the 70s so i had him as a late three grade he would have been going early round three but you get over that that's fine i had him as interior defensive line seven so it's again it's a solid player and a pretty bad interior defensive line class uh i would have been really in on an elite mcneil pick i had milton williams uh, outside my top 100 but 20 25 picks 20 25 spots lower because Milton's just not ready yet milton is a multiple year player Mil- milton is he's gonna take 25 percent of the snaps for us in year one uh, but we're not going to see really substantial pass rush sort of dominance and sort of impact on third down and everything that we want out of this guy until at least 2022, if not longer. McNeil was much more so ready for that. Um, McNeil also did not play uh, the same system. He played a nose tackle role. He played in a three down front, but he's shown a lot more of his hands. Uh, he's shown a lot more in terms of his pass rush arsenal's ability to push the pocket than Williams has. Uh, and he brings really good functional strength in the running game. And while he isn't a unbelievable otherworldly athlete six two three seventeen. so he's got about 35 pounds on Williams his body is ready to play in the interior uh he has better length and then he also still is a good tester he had uh 85th percentile in the 10 yards, 73 in the 40 65 in the vert 66 in the broad and so he fit all of their qualifications and he wasn't a super sexy crazy athlete but he's a really good ball player and he's running now I would be very interested to follow the careers of Aleem McNeil Milton Williams Um, But obviously, once they end up in their respective spots, it's hard to say, oh, McNeil would have been good in Philadelphia, too, if he ends up good in Detroit, because coaching staffs change the way players develop, because it's all about how you put them in their roles. And we've talked about how the Eagles coaching staff might use Milton Williams.
0: What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G podcast and an entrepreneur myself.
1: Which brings me to you know, transitions. You see that? Uh, Zach McPherson, corner out of Texas Tech, who was not the next pick for the Eagles. Uh, or, excuse me, he was. And then and then it was Kenny Gainwell, who uh, I want to talk about Kenny Gainwell as well kind of in this conversation. But Zach McPherson, who was a multiple season starter at Texas Tech, uh, playing in the Big 12, playing heavily in off coverage, ton of experience in zone, Penn State transfer. So he's a four-star recruit. Uh, did not have... The 40 they usually look for, 47th percentile, but 92 percentile vert, 91 percentile broad. Uh, He had a 94th percentile 20 yard split. So something clearly happened between 20 and 40 yards on his 40 yard dash. So again, I think they're fine with what he did athletically. Uh, That zone responsibility at Texas Tech uh, will translate to zone coverage for Jonathan Gannon. He is decisively not ready to play NFL ball not comfortable in man coverage is very has good transitions and and is willing to play physical but he doesn't like to really finish the job and so he'll be playing catch man right So the off alignment route will come to him He'll 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 take leverage steps he'll get to where he needs to be and then the receiver will come initiate contact at the break point and McPherson will let him initiate contact and let him separate and then try to chase him down in the open field and he's fast but not that fast uh so he's allowing separation on the break consistently uh, he'll, he'll guess very often as well uh, when he's in off coverage he's playing square to line of scrimmage uh, and he'll say all right you know especially when he's working out of the slot which you know the people have talked about moving him into the slot good route runners are going to take this kid's breakfast early uh, because he likes to guess and he'll react to the first move and he'll open his hips. and That's going to expose his back and you're going to be able to get on top of him. And again, he's got really good transitions, uh, good feet. And so he can get away with it sometimes, but it's not going to fly so much at the NFL level. He was appropriately drafted in the fourth round. There's been this conversation about like, what a steal. And oh, we loved him. and We were so excited. Like Harry Rosen couldn't focus on his day two press conferences because he was just thinking about Zach McPherson. He's a fourth rounder. You know what I mean? Like this is like, this is avante maddox rasul douglas level of player like he has some good traits but he has some significant problems right now and we should not expect him to be a high impact player in year one but you look at the depth chart and it's avante maddox and craven leblanc all behind darius Slay. mcpherson's gonna start if not in base defenses as the other outside corner then in the nickel as the third corner uh, i don't see how he gets buried behind leblanc and maddox on the depth chart he becomes the fourth corner if he does kudos to the eagles for maybe being responsible with him but he does need reps to develop and it's just going to take time he, i don't think he's a trustworthy player in man coverage yet he's got good good enough size for it in terms of his height and his length but uh he's also uh, another thinner player and an, another lighter prospect and so mcpherson represents to me a coaching staff ad uh this is a guy who obviously he fits with the eagles like but is clearly the sort of player who because of his experience in zone because of his willingness to play in the pedals, willingness to play deep and then close downhill. I think he's a good player coming downhill in the blocks, and he he's got really nice quickness coming down. He's got a great pass breakup against. I want to say it's Texas, uh, where where he's playing a hitch from off coverage. He flies downhill, and like that's the sort of nonsense that Gannon wants to see. He's got that that what the coaching staff likes, and will be familiar to the coaching staff. But he definitely is not ready, which is perfectly fine for a fourth round pick. So I think the same thing is true of Kenny Gama. I think he's a coaching staff pick. Number one, he doesn't have the number of starts the Eagles typically look for. Number two, he was fringed the sort of athlete that they look for. Number three, I don't really think they needed running back that badly on the roster, but they go ahead and they make that pick uh, with Miles Sanders in hand. And Gainwell is a good receiver, right? People have talked about the, the running back receiver-like versatility for yet another undersized player. He's 5'8". I know he key weighed in at 201. He absolutely 100 percent I cannot emphasize this enough, did not play at 201. He played a smaller player. He's so he's got that that receiving ability. He's got zone running ability. Uh he had 51 catches in his final season at Memphis, and they lined him up at wide receiver at times. He ran routes down the field. Uh he's not a decisively explosive player. And I don't think he has great long speed on film. Again, I know how he tested, uh, where he 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 has the the numbers that you look for but you you much more so see a slasher style player who does well getting skinny through gaps and is smart through contact um but he's not particularly elusive he doesn't have great contact balance so just like a, he's gonna get what's blocked for you and so i think that they want him to fill the naeem hines role uh, and and given his receiving ability and given the, the intelligence with which he plays uh the, the 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 smart footwork working angles on zone runs it's all very Naheem Heinzy in my opinion. I think Heinz has better contact balance and that lets Hines get away a little bit, but Gainwell certainly can play while skinny. She doesn't have great contact balance in open space. Whereas Hines, that ability to drop his weight and, and, and hit those spin moves and whatever. I don't think Gainwell has that sort of elusiveness. So to me, McPherson and Gainwell, first picks of of day three, feels like really the coaching staff was able to get their teeth into the picks and be able to say like these are guys that we really really like and that's okay. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. That's good news. One of the biggest problems for the Eagles most recent draft classes altogether has been, okay, bad picks. Uh like I'm not I'm not gonna tell you that because of the coaching staff didn't develop JJ Artega Whiteside, uh, that's why he was bad. He certainly Artega Whiteside came in and just struggled from day one. He's a player I liked out of college one good in the pros. You go and more so look at a player like Miles Sanders, whose pass-catching ability has gotten worse (laughs) over the last couple years. A player like Jalen Rager, who one game would be running all vertical routes, deep posts and deep nines, and the next game would be running all shallows and bubble screens. There was an inability to develop players in Philadelphia over the last several years. They had Rasul Douglas running off coverage. Just can't do it. Not physically capable of doing it. If you're going to use that player, use them correctly, put them up on the line of scrimmage. With that lack of development, it becomes even harder to judge some of these draft classes who, even if these picks weren't good picks or they were fine picks, they're developmental picks, uh, because they didn't develop, they're now definitely 100% bad picks, but it's not 100% on the front office. It's also on the coaching staff. Players like Gainwell and McPherson are players that I think the coaching staff should be able to use and develop because they are scheme fits based off what you saw in college. So they should be able to translate one to one if the Eagles run what we expect them to run on offense and on defense. As such, if I'm talking about year one impact on the Eagles roster, considering draft capital, but also team needs, talent, and scheme fits, you think Devontae is going to be the most impactful player. And then Dickerson and Williams, I do not expect to be as high impact year one players because I think Dickerson's going to be O line six. Maybe O-line five left guard, which if he does, great. Um, But also, you have to remember, I'm not sure he plays 16 games. And then Williams, I think, is going to be defensive tackle three, much more realistically defensive tackle four behind us on Ridgeway. And they're going to use him on pass rush downs because of the explosiveness as a crasher and as a stunt guy. But I don't think he's really ready for that yet because it's not what he did in college. Gainwell is going to see a lot of snaps. I think that they're going to use Gainwell a ton. Uh, they use running back rotations in Indianapolis. Sanders is a unreliable at worst, inconsistent at best pass catcher right now who also loses yardage because the decisions he makes behind the tackles. Gainwell is, is, is he'll, he'll, he'll run into the blocks. of guy sometimes he'll get a little bit urgent. I think he needs to play with better patience. but generally is a smarter runner. Him and McPherson, thin corner room McPherson has a ton of experience playing zone and slot and outside versatility yeah I think those players are going to see significant playing time so McPherson and Gainwell the two players that I circle in terms of year one impact hopefully Dickerson matters more over his first contract and so does Millen Williams as Williams comes along and Dickerson sees more opportunity but Gainwell and McPherson are the players that I anticipate to be big time Eagles in 2021 which you know don't expect the team to be very good but it's always fun to root for successful rookies Running through the final guys, uh, Marlon tu- Tui Pulotu, Tui Pelotu. Tui Pelotu. Marlon Tui is a uh, good one, gapping one tech. Right, uh, he can he can two gap for you, but he is a a run defending player. He does not have much pass rush juice. Javon Hargrave backup here because Hassan Ridge is a Fletcher Cox backup at three tech. Same is true uh, of Millen Williams. These are pass rushing guys. Tui Pulotu is a run defending backup guy. He's Javon Hargrave insurance. Uh, Hargrave obviously had to take some time coming along last year and is now uh, in a new defense as well in Indianapolis. Uh, So they restructured that deal in March. Uh, They have him now with, I think, a new three-year deal. Let me double check that. The Eagles, so they they restructured him in March and just pushed a lot of money into the future. Um, But he's still got only two years left on his deal. And so Tui Palo gives you a... Nose tackle developmental guy back up there. Uh, he'll be a rotational player in year one because his body is pro ready. Uh, he's he is what he is and he's got good hands in the run game. So fine with that pick. Uh don't think he has much pass rush juice, but it's still an important role. Um, They developed Grover Stewart there very nicely uh, and found a way to use him on rushdowns as well. in, in a crash stunt game there at in Indianapolis. That's probably what they're hoping to do with two below because he's got the size that Hargrave doesn't have. Hargrave is just a, a little bit of a smaller squad. Your dude, uh, Toronto Jackson, edge four edge five don't think a roster spot is guaranteed to him all snap anticipation all first rush first step uh player he win, he win the rush rep right away he doesn't win it good power in his hands not a bendy player also uh, again he has people to, to win on a straight line that's why you like him as a as a crasher on stunts jacoby stevens uh very high caliber athlete who just simply is a linebacker in a safety's body does not have the transitions necessary to play in coverage has to play up in the line of scrimmage they're going to try to have him play at 230 plus uh and they're going to have him try to play a backup linebacker role while also being a special teamer if they're trying to get another nate gary i'm going to put myself through a wall and patrick johnson so johnson is objectively interesting because he's 100% a 3-4 outside linebacker. He is a stand-up wide rusher, which we have not seen the Eagles use under Jim Schwartz. And apparently we may now see the Colts defense, you know, that the Eagles do now as, as they're inspired by the Colts defense. He and Jannard Avery are kind of similar builds and similar roles. And I would not be surprised if we see Johnson and Gernard Avery used in a on-ball linebacker role where they are as realistic threats to drop as they are to rush on any given down He's talking about this on ball sam linebacker role right uh this this uh uh you know i don't want to say anthony barr role because anthony Barr is really good and if you say anthony barr like oh shoot we're gonna have an anthony bar no we're not they're gonna try to have a player who I think can do that for sub packages because again gannon came from minnesota not just indianapolis uh so between patrick johnson jernard avery they're gonna hope to get that johnson's low-key an interesting player uh active hands violent tremendous hustle dude not the sort of athlete you want on the field as a starter but he can get away with it in sub packages i think he's a smart cookie uh he and avery are both dense physical builds uh, and so i think that yeah you you line them up way deep on the outside you send them in on in on blitzes and they crash in from the outside and they're going to compromise pocket integrity And that's what you envision for them so neither johnson nor teron jackson are guaranteed roster spots uh i'd be surprised if Jacoby doesn't stick just because of the special teams ability and linebackers thin for the eagles um but jackson and johnson are both not guaranteed roster spots just because of the the, the strength at edge for the eagles right now but they'll try to get them on the pack the practice squad and bring them back next year Derek bernett josh sweat both on contract years so uh yeah that's the eagles 2021 draft class if i i graded this class i'm pretty sure i gave it a c c plus uh it's got a ton of risk just Jacoby was a high caliber recruit who just never worked out at LSU. Milton Williams is a tremendous athlete who right now does not have a clear NFL role or usage for at least one year, if not two. Zach McPherson is a naturally talented cover man who right now does not have consistent man cover ability. Um, Landon Dickerson is is a significant injury risk. Devontae Smith is a historically thin wide receiver. All of them could be good. Jacoby could be a core special teamer, backup linebacker safety for four years. Key role. Uh, Zach McPherson could be the Eagles' starting outside corner two this year and every year beyond. Milton Williams could be six plus sack per year interior guy, which is rare. Devonte Smith could be the best receiver in franchise history, you know? Uh, but there's a lot that's going to keep each one of those players. And one big thing for each of those players, it's going to keep them from reaching that. So, it's a, it's a it's a swing for the fences draft which let's say the eagles miss on every swing well they're in the exact same place next year as they are this year and they probably maybe potentially need a quarterback too depending on how Jalen hurts plays if they hit on one or two they're probably not very good this year and they probably potentially maybe need a quarterback next year depending on on how Jalen hurts plays but they're gonna have devontae smith and that's gonna be awesome you know what i mean so it, it is in that they have a long arc uh, a, a long time horizon taking some of these players feels appropriate. Take your big swings now when you don't really have a, a, an urgency to win. You know, the coaching staff is all new. So they're they're going to have immunity for a couple of years. Roseman clearly has job security, right? He's out here just making wild-ass picks. Like, he's going to be fine. But you can't do this every draft. So big swings now. Hit on a couple. Get some confidence in the front office again because obviously there's very little confidence in front office right now. Uh, get some blue-chip players. Right now, you would not describe the Eagles as having... Any blue chip players, safer, perhaps Fletcher Cox, Lane, Kelsey, conditional on health, and then Brandon Brooks as well, conditional on health, but uh, altogether, not, not a blue chip roster. Uh, and so get some blue chip players, especially at skill positions. Uh, and hopefully you start to rejuvenate this roster, but it is a long-term timeline. And so you take your big swings. Uh, I think the Eagles will definitely get one really good player from this class. Who it is, I'll tell you in a couple years. Uh, but I think they'll get that, and I think that they'll also get a big bust or two. Uh, you know, whether it's Landon Dickerson, who just can't stay healthy, or Williams, who never develops, or whatever. um It's a high risk class, and so there's going to be some picks that are awesome and some picks that we look back in a couple years and we go, "Man, we had such high hopes for that guy, and it just never panned out." But there you go. I forgot to do an ad break. We're gonna have to put that in there somewhere. But I didn't forget any of the players which is, I usually do. So I'm happy about that. Uh, that was my 2021 NFL draft re- recap for the Eagles class. Uh, we will go more in depth on how some of the defensive players are tea leaves for us to read in terms of the schemes and alignments and ideas that the Eagles are going to use on bleedinggreennation.com. And so if you enjoy the podcast... Not only rate, review, and subscribe as we head into the offseason and start to do some fun, high-level football content, but also make sure you swing to BleedingGreenNation.com, best Eagles blog in the world, where all the good writing and the clips live as well. Uh, Yeah, rate, review, and subscribe. Listen to the show. Thank you so much for coming by. I'll talk to you again next week.